1: This episode of the Self Love Club podcast is brought to you by Amplify Kombucha. Taste Amplified. The Self Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss women who are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self love and self care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. At high school, Joanna Hunkin assumed she would become a lawyer, but decided to study communications, majoring in journalism. Since then, she's had a stellar career, working for the New Zealand Herald, TVNZ, moving into a management role as head of entertainment, and has recently moved to Sydney for her latest role as editor of Gourmet Traveller. Joanna's life and career story is really interesting, and in this episode, she gives us so much helpful advice around negotiating contracts, how to operate in a corporate world, and knowing your worth. We're so lucky to have Joanna Hunkin on the Self Love Club podcast. Joanna Hunkin, welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for coming to hang out. Thanks for having me. Now tell us about yourself, for those who may not know what you do, what you're all about. Well, I'm at a crossroads currently, but I am
2: just about to finish up as the head of entertainment and lifestyle here at NZME in Auckland, and I will soon be winging my way across the ditch where I'm about to start a fabulous new job as the editor of Gourmet Traveller in Sydney, which is very, very exciting um and I'm gonna be eating and drinking and traveling a lot which Oh,
1: yeah dream situations well, well sure doing some job. very hard
2: work oh yeah well.
1: I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of responsibility <laughs> as well <laughs> so how did you get to this point like where did you start take us back like how did you get into this industry and yeah take us back to I guess when you're at school like where did you grow up and everything right good question so I actually grew up in
2: Hong Kong Uh, I moved there when I was three years old and lived there until I was 16 um, and was sent to boarding school in New Zealand when I was 13 because my dad is a Kiwi, my mum's English. Um, So I went to high school in New Zealand and somewhere along the line, I just assumed I was going to be a lawyer and I don't know where that assumption came from. I suspect it was something that was force fed to us at school because actually of my friendship group from school, all of my friends are lawyers. Like that's what St Cusper's Girls go and do. They become lawyers. Maybe a couple of them are doctors. But um, so somewhere along the way, that's what I was going to do. And then my auntie, who is quite eccentric in English, um, came to stay one time. And I said, I was about 15 and said, oh yeah I'm gonna go do law and she was like oh no darling no there's too many lawyers well we don't need any more lawyers how boring what else do you want to do and I was like oh, I don't know um and I think 60 minutes was on at the time and I was like that'd be quite cool I could do that yeah I'll be like that lady reading the, like it was whoever was hosting 60 minutes and she was like oh fabulous yes go and do that yes, yes, yes. so I and I <laughs> so distinctly remember that that was the moment I decided okay yeah I'll go go do that. So I went to the careers counsellor at school and said, yeah, I want to host
0: 60 minutes.
2: (laughs) Basically I was like, yeah, Yeah. I want to host 60 minutes. And she was like, okay, cool. You should go and do a communications degree. And I was like, okay, that's what I'll do then. And and that's what I did. Yeah. And honestly, I went to university and like went to this communications degree, not even knowing what it was. Um, And it was only in, I I thought I was going to do video production television Until my second year at university when we actually did that unit of the course and I discovered that it was, that's like learning how to film and pull focus and white balance and all this technical stuff, which I did not want to do. (laughs) And it was only, journalism was a compulsory part of the course and the journalism tutor said to me, oh, you should do journalism. You're really good at it. And I was like, I don't even know what journalism is really. Um, So that's, I ended up majoring in it. Again, I'm so, it at that time in my life, I was clearly so suggestible. I was just like, if someone said to me, you should do this, I'd be like, okay. Um, so I went and did journalism. And I kind of figured out quite early on that I wasn't really into the news side of it, didn't want to be like hanging out at car crashes mm. or doing suburban newspapers or anything. And you have to do an internship as part of your degree. And you get to choose where you go. And a lot of people kept saying to me, Oh, you should go to the women's mags. Like, you'd be great. You should go and do, you know, yeah, one of, like, go and do one of the women's mags. Mm. And I just kind of knew. So here's the funny thing. On the one hand, I'm very suggestible. On the other hand, if, when people say to me, Oh my God, you would, you are totally like this. You should do it. My instinct is go, I'll show, you. No, I'm not. How <laughs> yeah. dare you? How dare you? I am not like that. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to do the women's mag thing because everyone thought I should um and I woke up in the middle of the night and I just remember this really clearly being like hmm there's that weekly entertainment magazine that the herald puts out I'll go there so I went into uni and said I want to go to timeout and they jacked it up and you know in the school holidays or whatever it was I went and did my internship at timeout and I got offered a job and 15 years later, I'm about to finish being the editor of Time Out. So it's kind yeah. of come f- full circle for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, But it is the weirdest thing. Like it, there was no great thought process involved. Um, one of my friends has a great expression where he says, I walk between the raindrops. <laughs> and it's kind of true because often things that I don't put a lot of thought into turn out being really kind of convenient and major and have like yeah. um, just kind of pan out for me, mm. um, which is very nice, but there's no real kind of master plan. It's not like I had this great goal and I worked super hard. It's just, I think also having, I, I do have a strong work ethic mm. and kind of, well, you do work hard. Like, yeah, yeah. But I, I, and definitely like, then the older I got, and once I realized I was kind of good at this thing mm. or had a natural inclination to it, that I realized if I actually applied myself, I could really mm. kind of propel myself forward. So that's where I discovered my ambition and did actually become invested in what I was doing. And now, absolutely, I am the captain of my own ship and really steering where I go. But originally, it wasn't like that. Like, I had no idea when I was 18. Which
1: I think is so standard. Like, most people don't really know. Or, like you say, with your degree and everything, I was the same. I was like, I didn't really know what it meant. Like, I was like, yeah, that seems cool, but... Seems cool. Had no idea. Yeah, that, man. Wouldn't, didn't, you, if you'd said to me,
2: where do you see yourself in 15 years? I would have been like, Pfft. I don't know. <laughs> it's ages away. In a Bar, no, <laughs> but also in a bar, no. yeah. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's a funny thing, but mm. then I think it was probably only in my mid 20s that I started to really kind of take some ownership of my career progression and realize that you not everything gets handed to you on a plate. Mm. So, for the first five years of my career, I was very lucky in that I happened to be a big part of it was I was in the right time at the right place. And like I said, I've got a pretty good work ethic and you know, I'm a smart operator. So people were just happy to, and when you're young and you're cheap, you're a pretty enticing (laughs) prospect So that got me so far. Um, Right up until I was 25 and I was all set to <laughs> pack my bags and move to France because um, that seemed like a fabulous thing I should that do. That sounds
1: like a great idea. And Can so, we do that? <laughs> yeah.
2: So I had resigned from my job at the Herald, had gone back to live with my parents, sold all my furniture and clothes, was had signed up to this course in Bordeaux that I was going to do and I got a phone call and, um, from TVNZ, and And it's so funny because it just came up in my Facebook memories the other day, like two days ago, saying it was 10 years ago, Um, and I got this phone call and they said, oh, um, you know, you've been suggested that you could be, you might be interested in being an entertainment correspondent. Uh, We're looking for someone to kind of work across our news programs. Would you be interested? And I was like, oh, such a shame, moving to France. Okay, bye. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. And I got off the phone and um, <laughs> went outside and had a cigarette, which we did back then, sorry. Um, we, it was a different world um, yeah. with some of my colleagues who were all a bit um, older and more wizened than I. And they all looked at me and were like, are you kidding me? That's the dream. Yeah, like, that's that what is- we're all here for. We're all trying to get on television. Like go, go and call them back. And I was like, nah, I want to move to France. Um, and everyone was like, No, really, you just You could do that later. They were like, at least explore
1: the opportunity. Yeah, that's such a good opportunity. And they've called you with it.
2: Yeah. So I went and called them back and said, okay, well, maybe I could come and talk to you. And, you know, I'll do a screen test. I might suck. You don't, like, we don't know. Let's at least explore the opportunity. And so I went in and I did a screen test. And they, I mean, they essentially created the role for me. Um, and so, but because it was a funny old time, it was just after the global financial crisis and there was a whole bunch of cost cutting going on. Um, so it was a really prolonged process and cause TVNZ as well, obviously it's government owned. So this all happened, it all happened very quickly within the space of a month. So I was, it, this all happened at the end of, or start of August 10 years ago. And I was leaving for France at the start of September And in the space of that month, I had ditched my entire plan to go, but I had to wait for TVNZ to get the role approved by the board. Mm. So Cliff Joyner, who now actually works with us here at NZME, he was the one um, figuring it all out. He said to me, look, go to Europe, have a holiday, travel around. That's a good idea. I'll call you when... We need you back. And I was like, okay, cool. You get your holiday and your dream gig. Yeah. yeah. So off I went um, and I did travel around and went to all these random places where I happened to have friends and it was great. And after two months they still hadn't called me and I had burnt through my cash. Yeah, well, and it's with-
1: expensive travelling. Yeah.
2: And I was like, oh, what if they don't ever call me? And it suddenly dawned on me that what I had done I hadn't, hadn't signed anything, had no security and just became very panicked that like, have I just done, made an incredibly stupid mistake. Um, so I booked my ticket home and literally, again, this is what I mean about walk between the raindrops. I arrived in Auckland on like a Thursday morning, turned on my cell phone, and there was a voicemail from Cliff Joyner saying, "We've had the role approved. We're ready Fuel. to send you the contract." And I had just landed in Auckland that morning. Mm. The weirdest thing, timing, yeah. So it was meant to be, yeah. yeah. So um, I went to TV and said, "I was their entertainment correspondent for a couple of years. I met my husband. They got married." Um, which was a really good distraction from the fact that I didn't particularly
1: like my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of things? Like, obviously, with a corris- uh, entertainment correspondent, what kind of stories and projects? And I know you travelled a bit. Like, what kind of things were
0: you yeah,
1: reporting on? It was a funny old position. So
2: the kind of the main thing was doing breakfast slots. So reviewing movies, reviewing music, talking about you know, any big entertainment news stories, celebrity stories, um, obviously anything local that was happening. So one of the big things that happened here during that time was the premiere of the Hobbit, uh, mm-hmm. which had a massive event down in Wellington. So I hosted the red carpet live coverage from there, which was this like three hour extravaganza. Um, so it was things like that, but I also produced other reporters who were overseas doing interviews for us. So Dominic Bowden was based in LA. He would get a lot of, um, Interviews with sort of Hollywood celebs up there, so he would then send that footage back, and I would help script it and package it together, things like that. Mm. Um, but what happened during after that two year period was there was a really major change in management at TVNZ, um, and there had been an Australian guy in charge of it of, of news and current affairs who had that real kind of Australian more American style attitude mm. to news, which is quite entertainment focused. And he left and a British woman came in from the BBC who was very dry, kind of there is no room for entertainment mm. news at t- at Television New Zealand. So at that point, um, I moved out of entertainment reporting and became a general news reporter, which was a really good thing at the time um, because I needed to kind of just change my situation and do something new. But also it gave me a really great foundation for what I've gone on to do and also taught me a lot, even though I didn't realize it at the time the whole process and experience taught me a lot about corporate culture and management and how these situations are handled at the time. I thought it was all about me and what I wanted and now in hindsight, I can look back at it and realize I was an unintentional side effect to what they were trying to achieve. And actually what happened was no one had been thinking of, no one had factored me in at all. It was only when they made some big changes, which was part of their strategy, that I started jumping up and down being like, what about me? What about me? And they realized they had to do something with me. So I understand that now. Mm. Um, And actually I think it makes me a better manager because when I do, when I have to think of strategy or change the directions or thing things or make those tough calls or restructures. I make sure that I don't forget anyone mm. because it, it did have a profound effect on me at the time.
1: What kind of effect, like, did it, did it affect your job? Like what kind of effect was it having on you? Obviously it could have affected your employment. Yeah,
2: it was, it, just made me feel really worthless to be honest when you get, when someone effectively makes changes that make your job no longer like yeah. there, mm. void um, that you just, it's like, well, w- I've just spent two years of my life doing this and you haven't even noticed. Like it just mm. makes you feel totally inconsequential. Um, but the other thing that being at TV and TVNZ made me realise and that, I came up again after that, I then worked out was that, like I said, up until that point, I'd sort of had stuff handed to me or I'd been in the right place at the right time. And then being at TVNZ, you really have to fight for things. And particularly when you're in that general reporting pool and there's a bunch of you and they're all the best in the business at what they do. You know, there's a lot of very smart, very talented people. Actually, no one's, sitting, uh, you know, none of the managers are sitting there going like, right, what are we going to do with Joanna today? That, you know, you are just one of several. So it's up to you to ask for what you want to stand out and to, you know, and to fight for it, Mm -hmm. which is not actually in my nature. Um, But yeah, I learned, I learned how to do it and it has, that's been a really important lesson Yeah, because the older you get, the more you do have to do that. And actually very little gets given to you the further you progress. You know, it's Mm. up to you to prove that you're capable to bring something to the table and to even, you know, pull people aside and say, have you thought of this? This is what I could do Mm. for you. So yeah, you know, I learned a lot of important lessons, but I also did have, it was a very difficult time in my life. It was quite a toxic culture and I look back at who I was particularly at the end of my time there and I was the the worst version of myself.
0: Mm. What, and
1: what sort of things like, how did it, I mean, obviously working in an environment like that I can imagine was, would be incredibly full on. And like you say, toxic at times mm. because you are competing with a lot of people and everyone wants attention and there's a lot of egos and things. Yeah. What kind of effects did that have on you and how, like when you say you were the worst version of yourself, like what was your life like? What were you feeling like? Just, I ex- I took everything. I think
2: the, the best way to explain it is um, not giving anyone the benefit of the doubt in terms of if there was a way you could interpret something negatively, I did. So if you said something to me, I was like, right, that bell, she said this about, you know, this mm. is what she, she's probably trying to do, you know, like just trying to twist it into everything. Everyone's out to get me. Mm. Everyone's a threat. Yeah. When you take other women and stop seeing them as a threat and start seeing them as allies, you totally change the dynamic of your life in that if you – because then if you become happy for their successes instead of their successes being some kind of failure for you or Mm. some kind of personal attack, suddenly you double, treble, quadruple the amount of positive experiences in your working life – and reduce the negative experiences significantly. And that was a lesson that I played out, that played out in real time in my life, that when I was at TV and said, you know, if someone else got a job that I didn't get, well, that was a personal slight against me. Mm. What did I do? How dare they? What did they do to get it? Do you know, like that That was yeah. how my brain was working. And that's, I really, not a,
1: that's not a nice place for you to be in at all.
2: horrible place yeah. to be. Um, and... And then, and also like, I can talk about it honestly now, but then you go through all these stages. So I, that's where I was when I left. Then it took a while. Then you go through the stage of realizing and being really embarrassed, mm. really embarrassed that that's how I was behaving. Um, and then, you know, sort of also, and then wanting to go through the stage of apologizing to everyone, but actually here's the catch. It's not all, it wasn't all me. Like, yes, I was definitely part of- acting out a little bit? Acting out and part of the problem, but alongside other people behaving the exact same way. And some of those people to this day have not figured that out or learnt that lesson. So some of them, there were some people from that time that I have nothing to do with and want nothing to do with because- They haven't learned. Yeah, Yeah. correct. There are other people who have gone through the exact same thing as me and we are now very good friends and we can sort of look back at it and laugh at it a little bit. But it's a very,
1: it's actually quite a long process to go through all of that. Mm. Do you think it's an environment, like obviously you wanted to go and do other things, but is it an environment you think you could have stayed in long term? absolutely not. It was really, really starting to mess with my mental health. Um,
2: uh, to the point where sometimes I would walk to work and when I saw the building, I was starting to get short of breath. Like it was giving me severe anxiety or even, yeah, just like a form of depression. It was just really wreaking havoc with, yeah, with me because I knew what it was doing to me and I didn't want to be that person, but I also couldn't stop it. And I felt very trapped. And I think that's not just a TVNZ thing. I think that's a real problem within the media industry, particularly in New Zealand, because it is a very small market. So yes, we get to do really cool things, but if it's not working for you anymore, where do you go? Mm. That's quite a challenging situation to find yourself in and lots of people do find themselves in it. Um, and if I'm perfectly honest, you know, one of the reasons I'm now moving to Sydney is because I want more opportunities, and I know that to get them, I need to leave New Zealand. Yeah. I either need to leave the industry and broaden my opportunities by going into a wider field of media and communications, or I need to leave the New Zealand market.
0: Mm.
2: So, yeah, and that's a t- and, and again, even making this decision has been a tough process, you know. It's great once you're on the other side and have the freedom of, like, yeah, I'm doing something new. But when, before you get to that point, when you're just sitting there going, this isn't really working for me anymore, what am I going to do? That's a really hard place to be. And it does, you know, it, yeah, I've, can't think of anyone who wouldn't be affected by that.
1: Yeah. What are some tips because I know that you've managed to work through these times, but what are some tips like say for example there's a couple of things I want to touch on here but getting to that place where maybe you're like I need to go somewhere else or this isn't working for me, how do you suggest people go about that and what's the like best positive way to do that, especially in a in an industry where there's limited opportunities?
2: Absolutely. So there are two big things that I would say. One is that everything takes longer than you think it will. So you have to plant a seed and then give it time to grow and just don't expect things, opportunities to present themselves overnight. But secondly, that it is within your power to open up opportunities for yourself. And so with every every time i found myself in that situation of just deep frustration that I'm not happy, this isn't working. I know that it's within my power to change my circumstances. So I then have to take a step back and go, right, what what can I do here? So I find personally it's always very helpful to have a, what I call my plan B, which sometimes is, um, right, maybe I'll give all of this up and go to university and study and get my MBA and look to, you know, go down this path. So I like to have something that's a plan B of, you know, this would always, there's always something in case it all kind of falls over. Mm. And that for, personally for me gives me a level of security that allows me to kind of not be overly emotional or hysterical about things that I know there's like a safe, sensible option that I could take. I've never once had to revert to my plan B, but for me, it gives me the control to know that it's the, the control and knowing that it's there allows me to kind of be cool, calm and collected approaching mm-hmm. what I really want. Um, and in terms of creating opportunities, so, you know, when I look back at everything, every opportunity that has come to me, I realize that I did initiate it in some way, shape or form by just talking to people, by just mentioning to people, oh, I'd be interested in that, or I think I could do that. So I didn't, again, realise at the time when I got that phone call from TVNZ all those years ago, nine months prior to that, I had been at the pub with a former Herald colleague who had gone to work at TVNZ. And she had said to me, oh, you should um, talk to the guys at breakfast about filling in for the movie reviews. You know, you'd be great at that. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. You should definitely like let them know I'd be up for that. And she put me in touch with the producer at the time. Nothing ever came from it. I think we sent like one email saying, yeah, yeah, I'd be keen. And that was like the last I Hmm. heard. Nine months later, when they were looking for someone or when the conversation did come up because the timing was right for them, somewhere my name registered and that's what led to that opportunity. Mm. So I guess, you know, some people might say, well, that's just kind of looking for, you know, that's a coincidence that you're just with retrospect kind of shoehorning to fit. But I do think situations like that. So another one was when I was looking to leave TVNZ, I sort of just started meeting with contacts that I thought um, might have advice or just, just basically, I always start by just meeting with people I respect because I think there's no harm in talking to people and getting their view on things. And you never know who knows who or who's heard what or, um, and so one of the people I met with was, um, a woman in PR called Nikki Shark, who worked with Jane Hastings at the time, um, who was, went on to become the CEO of NZMe, but that didn't exist at the time this conversation was happening. And Nikki was doing some work with the radio network and sent me in to meet with Dean Buchanan. Dean Buchanan is now my boss. But at the time, actually, nothing happened from that conversation. It was just a nice to meet, how are you, et cetera. And then it was two months later that the Herald totally separately approached me about this role. And a month after I signed up, NZMe was created in the radio network and mm-hmm. the Herald came together and I ended up working for Dean Buchanan. So again, it's all these weird, firstly, it's a small industry. Yeah. But it's these, you know, you put yourself out there, you know, it's no one's committing to anything. We're just having a cup of coffee and having a chat. But every connection that you make with someone, could lead to something in the future. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where, you know, some people might think that's quite sort of cynical or manipulative, but I don't see it that way. I just think meet as many people as you can in an authentic way. But the more that people, you know, because like I say, anytime that opportunity comes up and your name gets floated, well, if someone has met you and they go, oh, I met Jo, she seemed cool. Or she had a good idea. Or why don't we find out what she thinks about this? It's all mm. positive. It, that's all the stuff that actually propels you forward, even though you don't realise that you're what you're doing at the time.
1: It's really good advice, I think, because a lot of the time I think in any career, especially when you're young, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this, and you think things are going to come to you, but it's like plant the seed, and then I guess it's the learning to be patient as well because mm. like you say... It could be nine months on, it could be a year on or whatever. It doesn't always happen. Just because you decide that you want this job, you're not going to get it straight away. And
2: media in particular, I think, is an industry where, you know, I know very few people who've seen a job listing applied for it, got the job as stated in the job description. Most jobs in media are kind of created and curated with people in mind or it's through who you know or and because we've all worked together at some point various you know, at various, um, times and the, and the higher up the food chain you go as well. And I think this is probably true of many industries. It becomes more about this is the candidate we want. And then people shape the job around the person, as opposed to having a job and trying to find someone to fill Mm. the gap. So that's where I think building relationships, um, and just conducting yourself with integrity really matters, because by the same token, if you're out there putting yourself about and everyone knows knows you, but you're a shit bag, that's going to catch up with you one day mm. as well. You know, there's a point at which everyone goes, oh yeah, that like so-and-so, but she, like, what does she do? Or she's all talk and no hustle or,
1: mm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, like you learning in those situations, like at other companies and even here. I think it was quite interesting how you talked about knowing how corporations work, which is I think something that I think people would benefit from understanding because I think a lot of us can be quite naive in how things work and then you enter like a big corporation or whatever and you're like, ugh, like the politics, especially when you get to those situations. So what are some of the lessons on how you worked out how things work and also how you can explain to us how things kind of work, if you know what I mean? Like, teach know, us your ways. I know nothing.
2: Um, I won't lie. I didn't understand what marketing was for about the first ten years of my career. I just had no idea what those yeah. people did. I was like, marketing, what's that?
1: Yeah, um, which annoys them a lot because they're like, we do so much. What really, they do. yeah,
2: really annoys them. Um, and and it is and it is important and valuable stuff. But it was like that whole commerce world. I didn't know about. And actually one thing that does really annoy me in hindsight, and I wish, I hope that this is changing in schools, but like I said, at the very start, when the school I went to, you know, there were very high expectations for students and everyone, you know, did very well, but it was very much like, you will be a lawyer. You will be a doctor. Mm. Um, No one ever came and said, oh, you should do commerce and you could become the CEO. Like that was not put on the table. This whole idea of business and commerce was not offered or discussed and I kind of wish it had been because I think if someone had explained to me how it worked I might have gone yeah I'm gonna go do that I can totally be in charge of a company one day so I feel a bit rorted on that front but I guess had I yeah had I sort of explored that more I would have had a better understanding of marketing finance um the other various departments that exist in companies. Which, mm. um, but yeah, so in terms of how you learn it, I mean, I learned it on the job and honestly, fake it till you make it. I have sat in meetings where people have talked about stuff and I they may as well have been speaking Spanish. <laughs> and then I have had to go away and frantically Google what it means. Um, so smiling and nodding, I recommend. Um, but yeah it is and and I think there is actually no shame in asking people to explain what they mean by that or what that looks like in real terms that's a great way of actually getting people to, to decode things because there is a real tendency particularly in that um, sort of marketing and commercial space to speak in jargon and so you go to these meetings where people just bandy about these words and you're like so what do you need me to do mm. or what, do you, what does that mean? And actually some people can't explain it to you and that's because they're bullshit artists <laughs> and you work out pretty quickly who knows what they're doing and who doesn't. Mm. So, yeah, it is. A, you do just kind of have to feel your way through it. Um, but there's no shame in asking for people to elaborate so yeah, I think the biggest mistake you can make is to pretend that you know everything um or to stay silent and then let people agree to things that without you know you never want to be complicit in agreeing to something that you
1: don't understand in case you didn't know by now i'm pretty big on all things self-love and that includes taking care of my digestive health you know you're an adult when you care about your gut health am i right the gut is basically our second brain so we need to take good care of it Amplify Kombucha have developed delicious tasting kombucha, and like all fermented foods, kombucha naturally contains good bacteria and organic acids which benefit our digestion. Win-win, right? Kombucha is a little tangy and a little sweet with just the right amount of fizz, making it a delicious, natural treat. Honestly, it tastes so good. Try Amplify Kombucha, you won't regret it. So you worked at TVNZ, then you came over here and then you found you're in a management role. Like, was that Mm. different? Was that like, it would have been completely different from, you know, like managing yourself and then to managing other people as well as yourself. Totally. What's that transition like? And yeah, explain to that to us.
2: Yeah, it was, um, I guess it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know. So I wasn't intimidated by it because I didn't know I should be <laughs> whereas now <laughs> I know. Um but also I came in at a time where my role has grown organically along with the company as everything's ramped up. So my role now is much bigger than it was when I came in 5 years ago. And because I was returning to a team that I had actually worked with originally, although there was only one team member who had direct I directly worked with previously, I still knew other people in the office and so there was a real familiarity there. So I wasn't, you know, that made that transition a lot easier. Um, Obviously, a lot of people don't get that luxury. Um, But yeah, it was, my style has, well, I say my style has always been, I suspect many people would disagree with this, but in my head, I think I come in quite softly, softly and I like to scope things out and I'm not there to blow stuff up until I've got the lay of the land. And then once I know how things operate and I'm up to speed and I'm confident that I really do understand it all and, and I'm not faking it anymore, you know, once once I've faked it till I've made it, um, that's when I will come in and like be set a direction and say, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. And But I've seen other people come in, and not do that and just from the outset want to blow stuff up and make their mark and I just think it's a really stupid thing to do mm. because the only way you can I think the only way you truly get people to come with you is to get behind them and you know push them all along together you know you all want to be moving in one you can't like run out in front and try to drag everyone mm. along so it's all strategy really isn't it yeah, it is. But the funny thing is, you, like, again, I can say that in hindsight. Mm. At the time, I don't think I had a strategy at all. At the time, I was just like, "Oh shit, this okay, is how we like, gonna do things?" A, I guess I'm a grown up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also really exciting, and I think what I, you know, what I've come to realize about myself is I really like to be challenged, and so. Um, and when I stop being challenged by stuff, that's when I start to get restless and bored and not happy and needing to,
0: Mm. that's
2: when that kicks in. So I kind of now recognize those signs in myself and can either set up a new project or start, you know, like, so I've done that. I did that here two years ago. I've started to have that feeling of restlessness and like, "Mm, things are a bit, you know, it's all just become a bit too easy Mm. and everything's smooth sailing. And so that's when, um, you know, last year I decided to launch the Trailblazer project, which was for the um, suffrage anniversary, which turned into this monster project, Mm. which nearly killed me. It was incredible. Well done on that. Thank thank you. But um, (laughs) it did, that was purely born out of me being like, right, I need something to, to shake things up. I want to do something outside of what my everyday nine to five is. So... Um, And I'm not afraid to do that. I guess I'm not afraid to, I would rather be busy and doing things outside of, you know, the box, you know, what the boxes say my job is,
1: than just kind of cruising, cruising. I'm not a good cruiser. Mm, I think yeah, that's totally understandable because you want yeah you want to have things happening rather you don't you don't want to get bored, no one wants to get bored. Some people are happy with that, but a lot of us are like, what's next? you know what else can we do and it's a really interesting thing as well because like the older I get, the more I realize
2: um that people that yeah personalities are this sounds really stupid that personalities is different, but that there are very distinct different types of personalities, and so just because and and how you would approach things and mm. not how other people approach things. So yeah. my husband, for example, is not, does not share my kind of drive and ambition um, and is more than happy kind of doing what he does and gets a lot of satisfaction from that. And actually me, what I consider being motivating and being like, Trying to champion him to be like, you should do this and you should do that. He just finds incredibly annoying. <laughs> so I've now learnt that I should not do that. Yeah. Likewise, um, there was someone on my team who said to me one day, Oh, it's really great when you can just um check in with me and ask me what I'm doing and remind me like what else is coming up. And I was like, that would. Annoy the shiz out of me If someone kept checking up on me Being like what are you working on Yeah what are you doing? you'd feel like you're being micromanaged Yeah but yeah. he loves it And okay. actually when once we started doing it His output like improved or increased dramatically And he was like yeah I love it It's great Keeps me focused mm-hmm. So you just have to actually realise that Not everyone responds the same way you do And there isn't like your way is not the right way It's mm-hmm. just a way
1: Was it an important lesson for you to learn to sometimes not take things personally? It's something I've learned as I've gotten older as well. It's like, it's business. Like you've got to take the emotion out of it a bit and you know, cause yeah, it is
2: hard, but. And that, like I said before about
1: that kind of restructuring thing, I
2: think that was, yeah, that was one of those lessons learning that, that it, it actually had nothing to do with me. And Very often in business, it has nothing to do with the individuals. It is just, there is a place they need to get to and sometimes you're standing in the way. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons is to to not kind of obsessively uh, self-critique and analyze, you know, that feeling, and I do this um and i tell myself not to but of course it and i'm i think a lot of women in particular do this of lying awake about stressing about something you've said mm-hmm. or stressing that someone thinks oh that you God, yes. said something or that when you said something that you meant this but you didn't really mean that you know like that whole yeah. wormhole reality check they are not lying awake worrying that you're worrying about them. So just let it go. Like no one's actually thinking about you. Mm. Get over yourself. Yeah, like, no, you're so right and I And I say that to myself in that tone sometimes at night. I'm like, oh, just shut up. Like no one even cares about you. And then I go to sleep.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think we worry. We spend a lot of time worrying about things that people aren't even thinking mm. we're doing. And it's like just, you just and dress yourself up, upset, upset yourself. Probably the person you're worrying
2: about the too busy worrying about what their boss thinks of them mm. when then their boss is thinking about like what someone else thinks you know it's just it doesn't achieve anything and if you've actually said or done something problematic then deal with it and go and speak to someone and say i'm sorry if this was an issue this is what i meant or you know clear it up but if it's just those minor things that you know that in the night you build up to be big but when you wake up in the morning you're like, oh, I don't need to, we don't need to talk about that. Then mm. just drop it. Yeah. Just, and it's really hard to actually put into practice, but you need to like just flush that from your mind because mm. it's really easy to obsess over.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think like you say, with, for example, the restructure you're a part of or different situations mm. that anyone in any industry is a part of, it can be hard to not take it personally because you're like, what have I done wrong? Like I'm doing good work. Like, well, you know, like it it, it, do, it can feel very personal. So, what is your cool. advice to someone who's probably like given the the economic you know environment, mm. people find themselves in these situations all the time. It's how business works. yeah, what would your advice be to someone who's going through that? So I just think in any situation,
2: and it's again, so much easier to say this than to put this into practice, but as much as you can, stay professional and that and, you know, cool, calm and collected and be as constructive as possible because particularly in the media industry, but any industry in New Zealand, you never know when you're going to cross paths with these people again. So while blowing up and kind of doing the great, you know, burn the house down, seems like it would be fun. It's never gonna be constructive, particularly if you're sort of early on in your career. Unless you're definitely at the point where you're like, this is it, I'm out, I've got I've won lotto and I don't need any of you <laughs> jokers anymore. Yeah, yeah. In which case, go wild, girl. <laughs> you do it. Do it for all of us. Um but yeah, otherwise you just gotta be, be try to, try to be the grown up. And mm. it's man, it sucks being the grown-up sometimes. And and I won't like sometimes I'm not. So, you know, sometimes people really piss me off and I fire up at them. And then I spend twice as long agonising over the fact mm. that I blew up and being like, "Oh God, I shouldn't have done that." Yeah, and you know, and it's actually not the end of the world, but ideally you shouldn't get yourself in that situation. So yeah, if you, it is, it, you know, it is fraught when you're going through those uh, restructure situations. So I think the mo- the more that you can conduct yourself with professionalism and dignity. Um, and also I think going back to that point, I said at the start, if you can give yourself a plan B just to take control of the situation and kind of get your help, keep yourself calm and collected, I think that's a really good strategy.
1: Yeah. And do you think operating like that as a professional, that's obviously a good way to conduct yourself in a way where you're professional and is that going to do you better in your career? It is. Do you know what's really interesting
2: though was that earlier this year I did get quite fired up and upset um, about a, a variety of things, but I just kind of had one of those weeks where I really lost the plot. Mm. And someone very senior kind of came up to me and was like, it's really good that, that you know, that you feel this way. And I was like, how is it? How is it good? <laughs> <laughs> how is <it> good? <laughs> um, and he was like, no, it means you care. And sometimes he goes, you know, sometimes you're a little bit too cool for your own, like as in cool, calm. Not, right. Not like, I'm, I mean, I am so you're cool. You're like, I'm so cool, guys. I am so <laughs> cool, guys. But um, no, he meant, meant like in you know, a yeah. calm, level-headed mm. fashion. Um, that sometimes, you know, some people take that to mean that I don't care. Right. And I was like, interesting. You're like, I'm very, I'm very passionate about this. Yeah. But I, it, but it was, what was interesting about it was it wasn't someone that kind of works directly with me, isn't part of my team. It was an outside observation. Right. And I was like, it's interesting that that's how you see it. I, genuinely don't think anyone inside my team would say that because a I'm fiery AF with (laughs) them all (laughs) Um, and I think they they know how much I care but Mm. yeah it was an interesting thing that he was like I don't think in this situation it's bad that you've become emotional I think it's actually good that people can see that you really do you know you're invested in this Mm. again I think if you were doing that all the time wouldn't be a smart way to operate but I think, you know, you don't want to, you don't beat yourself up if you end up in that place because everyone's only human and you spend so much time at work. And for a lot of us, it is, you know, I do invest a huge amount of like my energy and myself into what I Mm -hmm. do. So of course I care when it's not going
0: well.
1: What about standing up for yourself and your advice on that? Because obviously, I mean, it can be a tricky one. But if there's a situation where you need to stand up for yourself, because I think in some ways, like there's a few different ways you can operate yourself in a workplace, especially in an environment like media, where you're like, I really want to work in this industry. So you'll do whatever they want. You know what I mean? Like when you need to stand up for yourself, how do you go about it? How do you go about it? You know, because sometimes, especially as a female in a workplace, You've made, you're made to feel, and it's not that I'm saying there's men that often make you feel like that, it's just you don't want to seem like over the top or, you know, like, oh, my God, she's being a diva or whatever. How do you do? You suggest people stand up for themselves when it's needed? So personally, I think I have become quite
2: good at standing up for myself, and also I'm a bit of a um, natural justice warrior. Like I have a very innate sense of justice, and if I see things that aren't fair, especially when they don't involve me, I will often go and ruffle some feathers on behalf of other people. Like I like to get involved in stuff that I don't really shouldn't, don't need to be involved <laughs> in, but because I sort of operate on this level that I'm like, well, they're probably, they're not going to do it for themselves. So I'm going to get in there because I don't care. And then, then I sort of hope that one day someone will do that. Yeah. For me. Good karma. Um, but in terms of standing up for myself i just uh, my approach is always be very direct but then don't push it mm. so you say what you want and you leave it and you let them fill the silence and particularly when it comes to negotiating and and you know negotiating contracts and things it is a very effective um tool or method but the one thing i would say is that You need to be very clear in your mind what you are and are not prepared to accept and then follow through on that, you know, that limit. So if you go into a negotiation knowing this is my bottom line, I will not do anything for less than this and these are my terms, if you are not offered that, you need to be prepared to walk away from it. And if you do, often they will come after you if they want you, but they might not. And if they don't, you need to be comfortable that you turned it down on your terms. And that's not a reflection of yourself, you know, of your worth or anything else. You just need to be prepared that it's going to feel a bit shit. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) When you're young, in particular, in the media industry, I think. There is this real attitude of, well, I've got 50 other people that want would die to have your job. And then the further up the food chain you get, the less you're made to feel like that. And actually you do start to really garner some bargaining power. One thing I find interesting is that often people start negotiations by saying, tell us what you want. And I will always turn around and say, tell me what you think I'm worth. So you think that's a good... Is yep. it? I was going to ask you for some tips yep. on this. So that's a good... So say. I don't think you should say, because as soon as you say what you want, that's as much as you're ever going to get. And mm. they'll just try to undercut you from there.
0: Mm.
2: If it's within a range that you are willing to accept, I wouldn't bother being like, no, that's not enough because you risk them actually just walking away from the table.
1: Yeah. You've got to be a little bit careful, don't you? It's like a... Yeah. It, again, it's sort of, it's hard
2: to give specific advice yes. in a general yeah. context, but... I do think, and and also I know as someone who, you know, manages people and recruits and I always operate on, I actually offer people as much as I can for the role if I think they're worth it. You know, some people, obviously, if you're getting someone in who's less experienced, I'm not going to offer them the same salary of someone who's got five years more experience. But if I'm replacing like with like, then I will offer the maximum that I've had approved and explain to them, this is what I've got to work with this is a fair rate for this role you know this is no one else is getting paid more than you for this role so will you take it and i think people kind of know that i'm not bullshitting yeah at least you're being straight up with yeah, me yeah and i and i respond quite well to that i've had people do that to me before as well i think as soon as you get and often people you know what is the point in having a protracted negotiation over like $2000 It doesn't make any, as a manager, it makes no difference to me. But as the 21-year-old who's trying to rent a house in Auckland, or, you know, rent a room in Auckland, Mm. actually that probably is the difference between whether they're eating or not.
1: What has it been like for you being a woman in management? Do you find that hard sometimes? Generally, no, it's not a problem. But then some days things happen
2: and it's really annoying and you're like, this would not be happening if I
1: had a penis. Um. What kind of things do you mean? Like, uh, and it's hard. It's hard because you don't want to get specific. Yeah. So like, but okay. how do you feel that women often get treated differently than men in the same situation? Oh, look, so one thing that I used to really notice,
2: particularly when I first came into the role, and it wasn't internal at all, but it was people, it was relationships with external people. So I had a male deputy and the number of publicists who would address an email, Dear Chris and Joanna, yeah. even though I was the head of entertainment and he was the deputy, they would always address it to him or they would even send it, dear Chris, but kind of, and everything was targeted at him. And I was like, is that because they think I'm too busy and important or is that because they think he's in charge? And again, like maybe they, maybe I should give them the benefit of the doubt Mm. maybe, but I I did take it quite personally and was just always like, like, damn you. (laughs) Um, So there were little things like that. One of the things I find quite difficult um, is the lack, the lack of other females because actually um, some, some days are really hard when you are dealing with cost pressure and restructures and this and that and you need to be able to discuss it and vent with other people in the know which is a limited group of people. So absolutely, there are guys on the senior leadership team that I'm friends with and could go and have a drink with. But sometimes you really just want to have like a wine and wine Mm. with your girlfriend. And for a long time, I did have that because we had, uh, because a very good friend of mine was working here and she left about six months ago. And I really noticed it without her there. I was like, oh, I don't have my buddy that I vent to about the things that only we know about mm. because even though I have uh, I have great t- a great team and I am tight with them, there are some things I can't tell them and that's something that, you know, and I suspect that is an issue that sort of women on boards have and at other companies and industries that, you know, often there are things that only a select group of people are privy to and while, yes, you can go and talk about it with the men... It's a different dynamic, mm. and and you see it all the time because the boys all go to the pub together. They go and shoot the breeze and talk about stuff, and we don't get that luxury because sometimes I'm the only woman in that room, yeah. and that's actually where it does shit me. Um, because there's no reason for
1: it. Yeah, like they just need to actually put a bit more effort. Do you into- think? Do you think a lot of the time things are, can be boys' club? Is that sort of a And it's not just specific to any one company. It's just kind of the way things are in society, right? I think in media, there is a distinct problem with
2: men being in senior leadership and not allowing more women and different types of women at the table. And the example I give of that is, so if I go to a senior editor's meeting, of which the proportion is probably 70% men to 30% women, and I look around that room, there are all different types of male personalities. There are introverts, there are extroverts, there are loud and bolshee like jokers, there are quiet, thoughtful people, there are very dry, serious people, there are, um, you know, quite silly, like chatty people. I look at the women in the room, there is one type of woman in that room, they're all like me, they're all loud, opinionated and direct. Some might call them ball busters, which is not fair, but you know it, mm. that that type of personality and that is because that is the only female personality type that has been recognized or validated by the boys club so they'll let you sit at the table if you that's how you are because they can deal with that but if you are a more quiet introverted female or someone who is more of a kind of dreamer or thoughtful or emotionally um sensitive person who may have just as many great, if not more great ideas to bring to the table and actually contribute a lot, those personality types are not welcomed or valued. Mm. And that I think is the next step that society needs to make in terms of making space for not just, you know, women but different types of women.
1: Totally. Because we're not all the same. No. And yeah, like that, like you say, like it's interesting that they've only allowed that type of female, which is like, like, women shouldn't have to always be like that either, you know, just to get their point across. But part of the reason that those women get to the top is because it is pretty
2: tough. Oh yeah. You become, you know, it's chicken and <laughs> egg because what you're exposed to makes you tougher and makes you more direct and makes you more of a ball buster, but also you probably wouldn't have got there if you weren't naturally that way inclined. Yeah. I think part of the problem as well is retaining women because I think women are much less prone to put up with bullshit than men are in terms of their personal happiness. So in the same way that, you know, as I've talked throughout the podcast about I when I can start to feel that, I'm not happy in what I'm doing and that the wheels are starting to fall off, I will make changes. Whether Mm. that's within the role to, you know, whether I'll do a new project or whether I look to change jobs, I will do something to mix that up and change my circumstances. And I think a lot of women feel that way. I know so many men who will just ride it out or or just don't care, who are just like, oh, it's just work. And I'm like, but work's such a massive part of your life. You Mm. can't be unhappy at work, but lots of people, lots of men will, I think. Mm. Um, And I think a big part of it is that because often if you are like a professional woman and working and if you have children, um, you've got so much going on and so much responsibility that there is no time for work to be awful. And, you know, you will change those circumstances or find a role that offers you more flexibility or that gives you better work-life balance because that's what you need to function. Mm. Whereas for men, I guess work and particularly men who don't have full-time professional wives, like, and so they're not doing a lot of the domestic admin and they've got support at home and they're not having to think about all that other stuff. They can actually, they can be like, oh, well, work's not great, but that's okay. Cause Everything else in life is a cruisy dream. <laughs> Do you know like that <laughs> That would exists. be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Do you know what, though? Honestly, if you look at most, again, I come back to media because that's the industry I know, but I suspect it's true of banks and insurance companies and God knows what. Look at men in the top jobs, mm. nine out of ten of them have stay-at-home wives.
1: Yeah, who are keeping
2: things in order for they, them. Who are sorting out their lives at home so they are doing 50% less mental work than any woman who is in that same job but is also running their whole household. Mm. That is the truth. Mm. And if you ever want to find a power couple, never look if you if you ever like think of all those power couple lists, so as there's someone who curates them from time to time, the way you find a power couple is find a successful woman and then find out what her husband does because it never works the, like there's no point trying to look for successful men and what because 9 out of 10 of them their wives are actually like not, well, I don't want to say they're not doing much. That's I know what you say, mean, yeah. But their wives yeah. are supporting them yeah. at home. They're perhaps not career focused They're not women, career yeah. focused yeah. But if you are looking for those kind of classic corporate power couples, find successful women and nine times out of 10, her partner will also be someone successful.
1: Mm. Do you think that as being a career focused woman yourself, that you've found that there's sacrifices you've had to make or things that you feel like, you didn't get to do and, or, you know, like, are you happy with that you've done that? I honestly
2: don't feel like I've sacrificed anything. Like I do think I am fundamentally quite a self, self self-centered person in that. it's okay. Well, like, yeah, I I mean, but I'm quite open about it that I, because- if I'm not looking out for me, who is like, that's yeah. so true though. And, yeah. You know, I sometimes have this argument with my husband when
1: I'm like, well, why wouldn't I do what I want to do? Like what's wrong with it? I respect it? that. Cause I think a lot of us think, I don't know. I think we like to think other people care about us, but you've got to learn to care. Like no one's going to care for yourself. Like you can care for yourself. Correct. And
2: so this is quite a superficial example, but a couple of years ago we did a big holiday over to Europe and we made all these plans based around, well, we want to go we want to go see these people. We want to catch up with these people, so we'll go here, and we want to catch up with these people, and we'll go here. We planned our whole holiday around sort of seeing other people, and then all those people flaked on us, and we ended up at the end of this like months-long holiday, which had cost a shit ton of money, mm. being like, we didn't even – go to the places we wanted to go to because we were trying to accommodate other yeah. people who didn't even then care enough to show up when we'd flown from the other side of the world. Yeah, And I was like, I'm never doing that again. I'm yeah. just going to go on holiday wherever I want. And if someone wants to come see me, they yeah. can fly wherever I am. Yeah, And I know that, you know, that, but that is sort of my attitude to life. I'm yeah. like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Come be a part of it
1: if you want. If you don't. See ya. I kind of agree with you. I've had, I think you learn that because otherwise you're just accommodating everyone else all the time and they're just focusing on themselves. So like do what you want and then others will just sort of come to you and and you get to do the things you want to do. And it's not being a selfish person. It's just living life how like everyone else seems to live it like that. So no, I don't think I've sacrificed anything. I'm very lucky
2: that I know that I don't want children. Mm. And that's quite a, um, I think unusual thing to be so clear on. It's not, you know, I know that for a lot of people, it's a real struggle. They can't necessarily have children or they're just not sure. And you know, like it's different for everyone. Um, And I think for people who do want children and a career, there are huge sacrifices that get made. Mm. But yeah, so I'm really lucky in that sense that I just kind of, it's not something I've had to deal with because I just know that I don't want them so I I, I respect it. What I want to do because I think a
1: lot of women who are afraid to say that if they didn't want them, you know, like I've yeah. got friends who are like I don't really want them, but I don't tell anyone. There's you a know? lot of shame around it, um,
2: and there's I, no need for shame. There's a lot of do you know what it is? There's a lot of perceived judgment. Mm. So again, it's that thing of if I'm in a bad place, I can think that everyone is you know, saying things in a certain way or meaning this or meaning that when I'm in a good place, I know that actually probably no one's thinking about me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think you can, uh, convince yourself that everyone's judging you for not having kids. I actually think most people uh, either don't have an opinion on it or actually a little bit in awe because they think
1: it's quite brave yeah to like cuz i mean yeah everyone sort of talks about it all the time and it's like you just it's kind of like a thing you're expected to do in life and then if you don't want it, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to have children and you know like it's personal choice it's like your life you know i always
2: so i'm like if that, if you want them absolutely like i'm so happy for you like enjoy every moment of them Um, Although in reality, everyone wants them and then they get them, and then all they do is fucking complain about them. You know, guys, not my problem. Um, Lol, it's true though. Oh my God. All anyone does is complain about their children Um, (laughs) and get sick all the time from them. uh, Yeah. And then, but what does annoy the shit out of me is when people act like my life is like, all easy, no worries, totally frivolous because I don't have children. Like, yes, absolutely. Some things in my life are easier, but there's still plenty of things that cause me stress. There's still a lot going on in my world that requires, like that can be really mentally draining. Um, you know, it doesn't, it's not just all like cruising the freeways, uh, without kids or like drinking martinis all night or anything like that. Mm. Um but and the other thing that drives me mad is when people go oh you're so lucky that you get to do so and so. And I'm like no I've made a life choice. So I've made a life choice to not have children and not spend the money that I would need to spend on a child. And yes, I and then get to choose to spend my money on a lovely holiday. Yeah. Or Some fabulous shoes. And yes, I can appreciate that that probably sounds very superficial. No, but but it's not luck. You've created that life for yourself. I've
1: made a choice.
2: Yeah. And, you know, maybe that choice will mean that I'm. 80 years old and alone in some rest home paying for a rent boy to look after me, that will also be my choice. Don't worry. I'm sure there'll be people that will, like, come look after you. That'll <laughs> be fine.
1: You'll have friends and, like, nieces and nephews. I've and got everything. it all sussed, guys, because, yeah. see, I'm going to have a really cute nieces, don't yeah, I you? I do. I yeah. have
2: adorable nieces and nephews who love me a lot. So there you go. You're fine. Um, And they know that I'm going to have money to inherit. Exactly. So and, they, and I'm going to pit them against one another. <laughs> so <laughs> – I've got it all figured out. Yeah. No, but it is, you know, there's a huge amount of stigma around talking about it. And I think um, it's become, I I don't know. I don't know whether it's just because I'm now at an age where everyone expects me to have children Mm. or whether society has become more obsessed with people having children. Like I genuinely have no perspective on that because this is the first time I've been 35. Um, So, but it does seem that, it's become a weirdly politicized thing.
1: What are some ways that you, like when it comes to self care and everything? Obviously, to operate highly in your career, you must look after yourself pretty well in some ways. What are some things that you do to take care of yourself? I know you're into your yoga. I am. I am. Although
2: I'm, um, it's gone out the window, but this at the moment, just with all the like hecticness of trying totally to relocate. Normal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I definitely, I love to yoga and I try to yoga. I want to say every day, but I'm usually happy if I can do five days a week.
1: That's yeah, You're a typical overachiever. You're like, I'll be happy with like, that's, that's still really good. But, I'm the same as well. I'm but like, that's oh. not like, go-
2: I just want to point out that is not going to like a 90 minute class. Yeah. That's like, I'll do a YouTube video for 20 minutes to 30 minutes. That's still really good. maybe I'll go to a class like once a week or once a fortnight. Yeah. Um, and I have a beautiful dog, Wilbur, who is a bit of a celebrity. He's pretty great. He's pretty (laughs) awesome. Um, I walk him twice a day. So that's really good for just clearing my head and just getting outside and, you know, like Mm -hmm. actually, and that's the thing. So I don't, I don't do gyms. I don't run. I don't, I'm not, I've never been like a physical exercise person. I've still got that inside I'm still like an awkward 15 year old girl <laughs> figuring out how I can get out of like PE class <laughs> yeah. cross-country or swimming <laughs> or anything yeah, I just nothing made has ever made me feel more inferior in my life Aww. than PE did <laughs> and it's just like this whole yeah. dark.
0: it was
1: never a good time for everyone
2: no yeah it's so it's so funny we talk about it in my team all the time because every all the girls on my team were like that and I'm like maybe that's Maybe that's who ends up here. (laughs) We were the girls who hated PA. Yeah. Um, But so, yeah, so I walk a lot and I walk to work, um, which is like 40 minutes. And I just kind of find by doing that, that's that's enough. And it just gives me headspace. I listen to podcasts um, or just make phone calls and often catch up with people. I like to do, so I am a genuine extrovert in the sense that I re-energize by being around people. Too much alone time is really bad for me. I go into dark places and just actually um, get, you know, like I destabilise myself if I spend too much time on my own. So if I'm going for like a long walk, I'll often call like one of my best friends and have a big chat with her or call my mum um, yeah, or listen to podcasts, which in my head, I'm like part of the
1: conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you totally feel like <laughs> that, don't you? I'm like, oh my God, yes. That's why I love
2: listening to you. I'll often message you after i cause Aww, I'll be on one of my walks you. listening and I'm like, no, oh, I really enjoyed that. It's like I was there. Oh, nice. Cause that is how I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that, those are the main ways. Um, and I just really, I'm eight hours of sleep yeah, eight hours of sleep a night kind of gal. Sleep is so
1: important. I think you realise that the older you get, like when you're younger, you're like, oh, it's all good. And then now I'm like, I have to stick to my sleep schedule, you know, like yeah. otherwise everything's out of the whack and you feel crap and just like yeah. life isn't as good. Yeah. Um, and I'm
2: someone that when I get overtired, like I, cr- I just – cry like it's yeah, a physiological I just I'm burst sad. into tears <laughs> and I can't operate that way so I don't um, but I also do believe that you do need to have a good blowout once in a while and I'm all for just yeah every now and then getting a bit silly and yeah. I actually
1: think that's okay too. totally everything in moderation hey yeah what is some advice you'd give to your younger self I look back
2: on like particularly my early 20s of my career and I'm in awe of who that person was because the naivety of not, the, like the naivety of youth, I wasn't afraid of anything. So I said what I want and I, you know, particularly in my writing, I was a columnist and opinion writer and I just put my opinions out there and I wasn't afraid of what I, and now I'm like, I, now I think that's terrifying. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, God, it was like some kind of superpower. And it was just youth. And so I don't know that I'd go back. I think that was a beautiful thing and actually having that kind of naive confidence to just put everything out there. Also, I should point out that 15 years ago when this was all happening, social media didn't exist. Thank goodness. So... (laughs) Yeah. I think, I I wonder, maybe that doesn't exist for people anymore because no one lives in that vacuum. You know, we would get email feedback and Mm. sometimes it would come like direct to my inbox and that, and if I got like two bad emails, that was enough to like ruin my week and have me in tears. So I never would have survived the social media era. Part of me looks back and cringes and it's like, God, I would tell myself to just be like, Tone yourself down. Yeah. Just you know, like calm, calm, yeah, calm yeah. down, lady. <laughs> like just tone it down. You're not everyone thinks you're the fucking greatest thing in the world. <laughs> but that was my superpower. Mm-hmm. And it got me where I am. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that I'd change anything. i yeah. not gonna lie. I think I spent most of my 20 particularly early 20s just worrying about boys
1: I know why (laughs) did we do that I think I
2: wasn't focused on my career all I wanted was a boyfriend yeah Jesus but yeah um and then yeah then then I I got a husband now I now I don't care about boys anymore
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's another thing though I think a lot of girls especially in their young 20s you know like and I hear from a lot of them and they're like no, they think they need to have a boyfriend. It's like, no, like focus on yourself. Like mm. it is hard though when you're in your young, tw- in your early twenties, cause that's sort of like, you want a boyfriend and you worry about boys. It's a, it's a thing. Well, have you got any advice around that? Just,
2: you just learn to be happy and enjoy yourself and work out what makes you happy because actually no one else does that for you. And if you're, if you don't know what brings you joy and brings you balance and what, you do and don't enjoy on your own it's it doesn't change just because someone else is there you know having a partner when you actually find that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with they they enhance your life but it's still your you know it's Mm. not like it's you're not moving to another planet you're still living in the same world
1: same environment same things going on so yeah I think it's built up and it's just like I think from like a big fairy tale when you meet someone it's like you know it is amazing but it's like I think people just need to remember that it's like it's you know I think after watching maybe Disney movies and everything as a kid Mm -hmm. you're like oh it's gonna be this most amazing thing my life is gonna be better and it's like no make your life great yourself and correct that's how I like to see it, and I try and encourage other young girls as well I'm like don't think that you need to meet a boyfriend and everything's going to be happy and amazing. You do that yourself. And then it's like, yeah. like you said, enhance your life. It enhances it and it's and it's sharing it.
2: So like the happy, you share your happiness, you share your worries, but also you they share that, you know, sometimes you actually have to take on more worries and stress because it's the good and the bad, mm. you know, like that's literally what those wedding vows are, guys. <laughs> and the as someone who has been married for eight years, it is, you know, it is not, Always the good times Absolutely like There are great times yeah. But you know When things are bad Like it's really tough And it's not Because you would can't Because you're not just Worrying about yourself Like it's not just Well this is what I want to do So I'm going to do it. it There's someone else to consider mm. And sometimes that is a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. You know, and there's a reason that all your bloody parents and grandparents go on about, oh, marriage, and it's a hard <laughs> road. And when you first get married, you're like, what other, Grandma? It's great. It's <laughs> like, we're just going to be happy always. Yeah. And then one day you realise that you're in that place and you're like, oh, this is what they were talking about.
1: I yeah. See. Obviously, you've given us so much advice and so many things people can take from this. But what is something you would say to women out there who are listening to this, who want to do epic things with their careers and their lives? But is there anything else you would like to say? I just really think
2: if there's one thing people take away, it's that you can control your circumstances. So if you're not happy, you can take steps to change that and make yourself happier. It will not be instant, but it will happen. And you can initiate and introduce change, you know, like you can just go and have those conversations, meet people, put yourself out there a little bit. You don't need to be getting in front of people, jumping up and down, being like, give me a job. I'm amazing. But just start the conversations and get to know people and spread, you know, by putting it out to the universe, I'm, this is who I am. I'm looking for change Is actually enough to change things. Like, and that might sound a bit woo woo, but I really believe that. Mm -hmm. I think you actually start the process by vocalizing it.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes and catch up on eps you may have missed. Reviews and sharing the Self Love Club with your friends and on your Instagram stories helps so much in spreading the self love message to others who may really need it. You can follow me at Bell Crawford on Instagram plus Self Love Club podcast. Check out my website as well, BellCrawford.com for Self Love Club resources and blog posts. And we're on Facebook, the Self Love Club community. Go join it now. A big Thanks to our audio engineer, Nick Bourbon. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of the year. We're already halfway through. With weekly episodes available each Monday. Catch you soon, babes.